You're listening to Murder Not Murdering with Aaron and Autumn, a true crime podcast about murder and murdering. But we are not murderers. Hey, everybody. We are back. Um, How's it going, Autumn? Oh, it's good. Now that the wildfire smoke is not running my whole life. No kidding. That was just crazy. The other thing about it that was bonkers is that for that one day when it was really, really bad, we had the worst air quality in the entire world. Right. Not even like just the worst in the country, but like in the world. It was not like world. 300 something at one point. Oh, yeah. You know, I felt it. It was like giving me such a it was a migraine. And then poor Lulu didn't feel good either. Yeah. It also made us feel really nauseous. And Mm -hmm. yeah, it was terrible. I got air purifiers just because of it because it was really, really bad. Like so bad. Anyway, one thing I wanted to bring up before we got started is I'm sure many of you saw and actually we even reposted there was a rumor of a serial killer in Seattle and it kind of got started because one person was talking to the gas station attendant right by where a murder actually did happen on the 509 Um, either murder body dump or natural causes no one really knows yet but when that happened they said that the police had told this clerk that this was one of several and that started a conversation because this person that posted it was worried about you know they said the demographic was women in their 30s and that's who they were targeting and they were targeting them at night so since she's part of the bartenders community she put out a message to her bartending group specific Then she sent it to a few other people in the community and it started spreading like wildfire and it went to everywhere that there was a serial killer on the loose and that all of us women need to be vigilant since we're that demographic. And eventually it was proven that there is not a serial killer case that they are looking at in King County or in SPD, which Seattle Police Department. So it was proved to be false. And a lot of people came down on the person for posting it or telling people what she had heard. And in my opinion, I feel like knowing the demographic, even if it wasn't real, knowing that this was potentially something that could be possible, putting it out there and saying like, be safe, be vigilant, If it saved one person, even hypothetically, it would have been worth it to say something. That's my opinion on that. I agree. And we had some pretty heated people reply to it like, this isn't real. Like, this is false. And at the same time, yes, we could have done a little bit more research, but it was out there circulating and we had heard it from multiple people. It was posted on a kind of like a blog, a Seattle blog type Instagram account. And then it caught fire. So it it had also, it had also, I mean, I'm, I, because I own a bar, I'm part of this community of people and it was circulating there long before it ever got onto that, um, dub C, whatever the website was. Yeah. Whatever it was. Yeah. And, and it was coming from people that were pretty decent sources. And then I had another person contact me and because obviously we host this podcast people wanted to talk about it and they sent me a screenshot of someone who works at SPD and they said that it was real and that they caught the person although again none of this is real so it's really difficult but at the same like I said the same time I feel like if there was even a one percent chance of truth to that it was important to get the word out as 
we are that specific demographic and all of us work at night. It was also a good reminder for us all to stay vigilant at night. Make Mm -hmm. sure you take a second person with you to your car, et cetera. You know, I, I don't think it did as much harm as people perceived it. Yes, there was a little bit of panic. It wasn't meant to panic anybody. It was just to stay informed and tell you to stay vigilant. I, I didn't think it was as, uh, it should have, people should have gotten so upset about it as they yeah, did. It, there was a lot, a lot of backlash. Yeah, there's a lot of hate. There was a lot of hate messages, guys. <laughs> but we weren't trying to spread fear. We were trying to spread awareness. Yes. And I know the original poster and she was really upset because she got a lot of hate mail. Not the person that posted it on that big, on the big thing online. She just posted it in a bartender's community page that we all frequent. And it was just to let people know as we all get out of work late at night to be safe. There was nothing malicious. There wasn't a want to spread rumors. She had been told this by someone who said they heard from the police. So she was trying to do the best she could. And the person that died on the 509 is not far from here. So it made sense to do it. The fact that it went to other places and it went out of her control, that made it worse, obviously. I mean, yes, you should have credible sources. You should know you should be able to find out this information, but sometimes the police aren't always forthcoming. Um, forthcoming. Yeah, because <laughs> they do hide a lot of information. So, and they don't have to tell us. No, they, they don't. Can, to protect a, a case, they don't have to tell all the facts to the public. No, and they you can know? even literally lie or try to keep it from us to protect their case, which is understandable. You don't want to egg on a serial killer or egg on or or give someone you know, a platform after they've been killing people. And a lot of times we've seen when they go to the media, a lot of times they start ramping up and start doing more killings or they disappear and then they can't find them at all. So there's validity to that. But I think that people were really kind of unjust in their reactions also to be like, well, it's not real. So no big deal. And it is a big deal because it is a reminder That at night, if you do, if you're a woman and you work at night or someone, anyone that works at night, you have to be fucking vigilant. And that's real. You know, there's nothing wrong with that. I carry my birdie with me every single time I leave work. You know, sometimes I leave work at two, three in the morning, you know, and you, you just have to be careful. And it's, it's a reminder of that. Mm -hmm. It's not, it wasn't to be malicious. No, not at all. That's my thoughts on that. Anyway. <laughs> no, and I would have to agree. I I think that it's never it's never a bad time to have a reminder to stay vigilant. Exactly. And like I said, if it had saved one person or even just someone from a carjacking or a a attack in general, like not specific to the serial killer that didn't wasn't real. Right. It still was worth it in my opinion. To oh, remind people to be safe. I agree. And anyway, I will never, I mean, I have no regrets. That's why I didn't post on our Instagram the moment it came out that it wasn't true because yeah. we didn't know that either. Like I needed no. to wait for facts. And yeah. all we had done was warn people. We weren't trying to spread a rumor or name names or anything. We didn't release yeah. any details. We just shared the article. Exactly. Okay, so I felt like I had to get that off my chest right off the bat. I do too. I mean, we did receive a lot of messages, and I just want people to know we we obviously care about facts, and we definitely want to fact check. We shared an article. We didn't come up with something to spread rumors. So No. All right. I think I'm going to just jump right in. Okay. If that seems okay with you. Yeah, I'm ready. Okay. I'm not going to say the name of the person yet because I want it to be, I don't know, a surprise. <laughs> I don't know that it should be a surprise, but whatever. Okay. <laughs> a little mystery. It's not like I'm not going to say it in the next three seconds, but I have a little opening. That's all. Okay. I got it. When you see a picture of her, you see a beautiful young woman, golden blonde hair, stunning hazel eyes, and a type of radiance that emulated from her smile. Tammy Lynn Liepert was born February 5th, 1965, 
in Rockledge, Florida. She was described as an uncommonly beautiful child. Her mother, Linda Curtis, was a theatrical and modeling agent and started her in beauty pageants at the age of four. When Tammy turned 16, she had competed in more than 300 beauty contests, and she had won the crown 280 of those times. In October 1978, she appeared on the cover of CoverGirl magazine, and she got a big break having a role in the teen exploitation film Spring Break in July 1982. It was a box office hit, making nearly $25 million. Tammy had dreams of moving to California to pursue her acting career. After the film Spring Break had wrapped, Tammy went unchaperoned to an out-of-town weekend party. When she came home, the carefree beauty queen was changed. One of Tammy's closest friends, Wing Flanagan, said, (laughs) I knew you were going to say something about that, (laughs) said she had come back a different person. At first, he would often ask her what was on her mind and if anything was bothering her. She would usually evade the question and say it was nothing. Then it shifted into serious paranoia. One day, Wing went to answer the phone, and she told him to tell the caller she was not there. The caller indeed asked for her, and he told him that she was out. Linda, her mother, witnessed this exchange and asked Tammy what was wrong. Tammy said she saw something awful, something something really bad that she was not supposed to see. However, when pressed, she refused to talk about it any further. She also said to Linda, Mom, what would you say if I told you someone was trying to kill me? Oh, my God. No matter what the conversation, she refused to expand on her comments. Tammy also said that they would come after her if she talked about what she had seen. She began to isolate herself, staying in her room a lot and not taking care of her basics in regards to appearance. As a beauty queen, model, and actress, Tammy was known to devote a great deal of time to making sure she always looked camera ready. Wing and Linda struggled to help Tammy. They were trying to find out which of her fears were real and which were paranoid delusions. Wing recalled one instance when Tammy called him over to the window facing the neighbor's house. She asked him what he saw. It was the neighbor's new van. She said exactly. He said he didn't understand what she was getting at. Then she said that the van had mirrored windows and that they can see us, but we can't see them. She was convinced they were spying on her. Despite her mental state, Tammy had booked a new job in the huge upcoming blockbuster Scarface, starring Al Pacino and Michelle Pfeiffer. The film began shooting in Miami in March 1983. Tammy stayed with a friend, Walter Leibowitz. She had a role as a prostitute who was a distraction during the chainsaw shower scene. Everything was going well until the fourth day of shooting. There was a scene in which someone was shot and there was artificial blood spurting out. Tammy became hysterical. She had to be escorted back to her trailer and the casting director called Walter to help calm her. He immediately went to Tammy's trailer to check on her. When he arrived, she was nearly inconsolable. According to him, she was in a tremendous state of fear and anxiety. She was hysterically crying, saying something about money laundering. She said that they were going to kill her, and she didn't know where to hide. He spoke to her mother, Linda. He told her that Tammy should go see a doctor. He also said that she should go to the police. He had hoped that they could verify her problem was psychological or that someone was actually trying to kill her. At the insistence of her mother, Tammy quit the film. She is still seen in the movie, though. Tammy spoke. Yeah. Tammy spoke with the local sheriff's department, but she didn't mention fearing for her life. Yet she was becoming more and more paranoid, and it was escalating. On one occasion, She made Wing taste a piece of her food to see if it was poisoned. Also, that's a little bit fucked up because you think of him as your brother and he lives with you. And why are you going to make if You know what I'm saying? I have a stabby gem story about that. 
Mm. Whenever well, I was younger and anytime I would eat food, he would always, if he liked it, he'd be like, I need to taste it to make sure it's not poisoned. Well, yeah. then I went to one of my friend's houses when I was really little and I wasn't eating. And the mom goes, why aren't you eating? And I said, well, aren't you going to try it and make sure it's not poisoned? That's funny. <laughs> So, I mean, plus I might sacrifice my brother. So I'm kind of on board with what she's doing there. Okay. <laughs> um, But at that point, she would only eat from other people's plates. She wouldn't eat anything set on her own plate. Wing recalled that there were good days and there were bad days. And there were days when Tammy was almost normal. And there were days when she was really edgy. On July 1st, 1983, Tammy snapped. While Wing was reading on the couch, she accused him of looking at her. He denied it. She went outside but apparently got overwhelmed and almost immediately turned around and ran back in. She tried to open the front door and she discovered that it had been locked behind her. She banged on the door, demanding to be let in. She then grabbed a baseball bat from the yard and smashed the front window. Wing opened the door and told her to stop. She went after him and began to hit him with her hands, yelling and asking why he locked her out. According to him, she had a crazed look in her eyes. He thinks that she didn't recognize him. Linda tried to break Tammy out of her psychological state, saying, Tammy, it's mother, I love you, over and over until she broke out of it. Linda checked Tammy into the Brevard County Mental Health Center for a complete physical and psychiatric evaluation. Doctors found no evidence of drug or alcohol use and kept her in the hospital for 72 hours for observation. She was released. After leaving the hospital, she asked Linda to promise her that if anything happens to her, she would get even with that person for her and that he was still trying to kill her. On July 5th, the day after she was released from the hospital, she went out with her best friend, Rick Adams, she told him that she had seen something she shouldn't have seen, and she thought she would be killed for it, but again did not elaborate. The two went to church to pray. While there, she cried uncontrollably for several minutes. Then he dropped her off at home, and they made plans to go to church again the next afternoon. She told him that she loved him and that she might be going away for a while, but did not say where she was going. The next day... On July 6th, 1983, it started as a normal day. Tammy told her mom that she was going to the beach with her friend, Keith Roberts. Her mom said she was acting well and almost felt like she might have been putting on a show that she was okay. She also said that she had a dreaded feeling that this would be the last time she would see her daughter. Keith and Tammy were off to the beach, but along the way, they began to argue. They stopped at a gas station. He gave her $300 that he owed her, but the arguing continued until she yelled at him to stop the car and let her out. That was the last time anyone ever saw Tammy. She was wearing a blue denim skirt, a light blue shirt with flower appliques on the shoulders, and wearing flip-flops carrying a gray purse. It's been misreported by numerous articles and even our beloved Unsolved Mysteries, no. that she was barefoot, but she was not. The police questioned all of Tammy's friends, who all had a similar consensus. They said that Tammy was having a really hard time at home, and they believed she had simply left. A friend of hers also said she had mentioned once she was 18, she was getting the hell out of there. Linda did not believe that her daughter would leave voluntarily, but some things about Linda I haven't shared with you yet. She was Tammy's agent, and apparently they argued about work a lot. Tammy was also Linda's main source of income. Linda was the owner and operator of Galaxy Model Workshop. In an article, they talk about how she was really good at turning out winners for pageants. But I also read from a personal account of someone who attended her workshops that they said Linda was a con woman, that she ran a similar business to John Casablanca's, as you may remember, by basically charging you a lot of money for classes and photos after they discover you. By all accounts, no one said that she was a very good mother. 
I assumed that she would have been like, you know, a bit of a pageant mom. But according to Tammy's sisters, she was verbally and physically abusive. Wow. Tammy's sister, Debbie, remembered Linda getting so frustrated she threw a butter knife at Tammy when they were arguing. Debbie also said that she believed that Linda loved her children, but due to a rough upbringing, just didn't know how to show it properly. Even in the Unsolved Mysteries episode, Linda alludes to them arguing often. Mm -hmm. After Tammy's disappearance, Linda had many theories on who had harmed her daughter. She brought up Keith Roberts, the last person to see her alive, a man named Robert Valenti, who was taking photos of young girls, the serial killer Christopher Bernard Wilder, Mm -hmm. or she had a theory that maybe she got amnesia. That one's a little rough for me. Yeah, because someone somewhere would have recognized her by now. Yeah. Many people theorized about the serial killer Wilder because he was in the area at the time. He had abducted and raped at least 12 women and killed at least eight of them during a spree that started in Florida and went through Texas, Oklahoma, Nevada, California, and New York in 1984. It ended when he committed suicide during a struggle with police in New Hampshire. His first known victim was abducted at a mall just a few miles from Cocoa Beach, where Tammy had disappeared from. But it is to be noted that his killing spree didn't start until the year after Tammy went missing. Linda claims that Wilder and Tammy met on the set of Spring Break in Fort Lauderdale. She further claims that he traveled to Brevard County, where they live, in a fruitless effort to convince her to let him photograph Tammy. She also recalled that a man strongly resembling him, and sarcastically she said she would describe him as his twin, if it wasn't the man himself, visited her modeling agency several times in 1983 asking for models. Linda filed a $1 million lawsuit against his estate, claiming that he abducted and probably killed her daughter. It was later dropped after his death. But the lawsuit to me is very baffling for the grounds on which she made the claim. She was asking for emotional damage and funeral expenses totaling $1 million, but there hadn't been a funeral or a body. And who's to say that he would have produced a body if he was convicted? Oh, wow. And $1 million? uh, It's an odd number, right? Mm -hmm. After it was dropped, Linda said she no longer considered him a strong suspect in the case. Police were never able to link Wilder to her disappearance, and it is possible that her disappearance and possible abduction before his murder spree could just be a coincidence. The lawsuit to me felt a little bit like an attempt at a money grab. Also, Linda talked about writing a book and a screenplay about her daughter's disappearance, but it never came to fruition. All of that seems a little... Suspicious? Like exploiting. <laughs> yeah, like ex- it's more like exploiting the situation to make money is what it felt like to me. Yeah. Sadly, Linda had many health issues and died in 1995, never finding out what happened to her daughter. Based on Tammy's behavior prior to her disappearance, her family still believes that she is no longer with us, and she met her end in foul play. They believe she saw something she wasn't supposed to see and was killed because of it. The theory that her disappearance may have been related to money laundering has always been a large one. Once Tammy told Linda that a friend of hers bragged about a large-scale drug money laundering operation in Brevard County, with several prominent citizens, cops, and bankers reportedly involved in it. This led her to be fearful for her safety. There is currently no evidence to support these claims, though. Interestingly, there were several large-scale money laundering investigations that were occurring in that area at that time. However, it's not known if these investigations were related to this case. But a strange thing did happen. Former Cocoa Beach detective Harold Lewis stated in 1985, this is two years after her disappearance, that he received two phone calls from a woman who claimed Tammy Liepert was still alive. When the woman called the first time, she said Tammy Liepert was well and would contact us when the time was right. During the second call, she said that Tammy was doing what she always wanted, 
going to school to become a nurse. Linda said it couldn't be because Tammy had apparently had a fear of blood. Detective Lewis says he does not suspect foul play in the connection with Tammy's disappearance. I've always had a gut feeling that Tammy just split, he said. Lieutenant David Bartman of the Cocoa Beach Police Department said his officer's task was made a lot more difficult by the delayed report of her missing from the fact that Tammy had recently turned 18 and was legally an adult, so the family had to wait to make the report. She went missing on July 6th, but the missing persons report couldn't have been filed until July 11th, losing crucial time for eyewitnesses. He said, there's no indication that Liepert was taken anywhere against her will. The last theory that I'm going to talk about, and the one I suspect is a pretty good theory, is that Tammy went into witness protection due to a connection to money laundering. Here's my thoughts. She went to the sheriff's department after her meltdown and didn't say anything about being fearful. She had just been taken off of a movie set where a shit ton of people saw that. So to me, it's like, I don't understand. And I couldn't find any records of her actually going to the sheriff's department. So that to me seems sketch. Mm -hmm. The other thing is that she began to start acting normal to show her mom she was okay, not to rouse its suspicions. She was also reported by her sister to have three different social security numbers, but I can't substantiate that. The witness protection theory would make sense of why she would cut ties and seemingly vanish. Many women's bodies were found after her disappearance, and she was never identified as one of them. They do have her DNA in the national database, but unfortunately her dental records were lost, which is really shitty because at this point, we're looking more for dental records, mm -hmm. you know. Totally. Today, Tammy's sister Suzanne maintains a Facebook page and website in the hopes of one day finding out what happened to her sister. According to Suzanne, a few family members felt that Linda, her mother, killed her and buried her in the backyard of the house in Rockledge. To my knowledge, this has never been investigated, and if Tammy was the source of income for Linda, I doubt she would have killed her. Unless it may have been a crime of passion. We don't, we do know that she did throw a knife at her once and she could be violent, mm -hmm. but I don't know. It doesn't make sense to me. It's not enough for me to entertain that specific theory. No. Uh, Suzanne does believe that Tammy is no longer alive and she's just waiting for answers. As of this recording, Tammy Lynn Liepert has been missing for 39 years, three months, and 18 days. If you have any information regarding the whereabouts of Tammy Lynn Liepert, please call the Cocoa Beach Police Department or contact Suzanne through the Facebook page, My Missing Sister, Tammy Lynn Liepert. My sources were Unsolved Mysteries, mm -hmm. Unsolved Mysteries Fandom, Wikipedia, Florida Today, The Charlie Project, and Grunge.com. I've always been really intrigued by that case. And right? It's one of those ones that sticks with you. I don't think she went into mis to witness protection. I think that with technology. You think she was murdered? Yeah. And with technology as advanced as it is now, it would be really hard for her to still be hidden. Um, well, there was one thing that happened on a thread. Gosh, I can't remember the name of it. It's not Reddit, but it's on a crime thread. Suzanne, actually, her sister posted that she believes that her sister had been pulled over for DUI in 2008. And she had some things that she thought substantiated that, but then the person didn't do fingerprints, weren't, wasn't fingerprinted. So they weren't able to prove that. Yeah. Sometimes I, I feel still, like. I mean, I think that's wishful thinking. Yeah. I was but, about to say, sometimes I feel like family members reach and of course they do. They want to keep the well, hope yeah. and whatever alive, but I truly yeah. think she's gone. I mean, it, it makes more sense also that she would do the scene to like get drop me off get me out of this car and be left there and then after that go would she go like to meet the people to 
disappear. I mean, I just, I don't know. I feel well, like it's witness, not a horrible theory. Well, in witness, but it's protect- not great. Yeah, but in witness protection, you can bring family members. They just have to like also agree to give it. up everything. Mm-hmm. But and- we also know that Tammy wanted to get away from her family, her mom. So her mom specifically, but it was just her mom and Wing that lived at their house. I mean, I don't know. I feel like she, she, I know she wanted to get away, but that doesn't explain the paranoia or her like having that meltdown on the Scarface set and all of those things. I think she definitely saw something she shouldn't have seen. I believe that for sure. Mm -hmm. I believe her fears were probably very real. I do too. You know, but I'm just not convinced that she's in witness protection. I don't know. Or that she disappeared. You know, I don't think you can disappear that long. No, I think she's gone. Like, I think she's dead, unfortunately. I don't believe the theory that her mom killed her, though. No. I don't don't think think her mom killed her either. I don't get that vibe from her mom. I mean. Her mom does give off a weird vibe. Yeah, but I don't, I didn't give off the, she killed her, especially since she got sick and had health problems and then she died. Like, yeah. I just what made me what made me uh, weirded out by the mom in all of the interviews that I read or watched video of was just that she was very I mean, she was a theatrical modeling agent and you mm-hmm. could sell she was almost like selling the situation yes, for sure. And it, it was very it, it weird. Felt, yeah, it felt like she was capitalizing on it. Like she found a way to get some stardom herself. Of course, that's why she, she wanted a million dollars. And she was a former beauty queen also. So I feel like there was something there to that as well. Oh, of But I course. do think she was like a hardcore pageant mom with her daughter. And her daughter was also her source of income. And she was getting really mad that she wouldn't take more jobs. Mm-hmm. You know, but she was obviously unwell yes. for taking jobs right now. <laughs> Agreed. I, just... I did watch the scene. I mean, not that I haven't seen Scarface a million times, but I did rewatch that scene just to see her like, you know, as an actual person, like moving around and talking and everything. Mm -hmm. She just it's like a four second moment before they chainsaw the dude in the in the shower. (laughs) (laughs) Super gruesome, but (laughs) I love Scarface. I've never seen it. Are you serious? I don't want to. Oh, it's that's only one second of it. No, I mean I've heard about it, and I've obviously obviously say hello to my little friend. Like clips and stuff. I just not a show that I'm interested in. Oh, I love like <laughs> mobster slash drug movies. I love all of that. Mm, I know. I'm just not into that. It's not my thing. Yeah, you're more of a Hallmark um, <laughs> Christmas movie Disney special. Channel. Yeah, which is so <laughs> weird considering I love true crime. But yeah, that is more my genre. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Anyway, that was my case this week. We're going to take a quick break and then we'll be right back with Autumn. You're listening to Murder Not Murdering with Aaron and Autumn, a true crime podcast about murder and murdering. But we are not murderers. We promise. You have to use your words, friend. No. Why do I? Oh, my God. I'm so awkward. Welcome back. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I apologize if my voice sounds a little different. I have like some kind of like cold thing trying to come to life. So I don't know. I sound tired, but I'm not. <clears throat> I'm tired. Well, you're a mom. <laughs> yeah. And I worked last night. You worked last night? Yeah, I'm and then tonight is like a huge event for us. So I've got I'm like I'm literally just finished making like a hundred jello shots and I need to go make more here in a minute. <laughs> and then and then Party. I have to get everything I have to get everything ready for tonight. Uh it's our big Rocky Horror skate. We oh, that's it, right. We do it annually. So right. it's it's a it's a big event for us. Anyway. That's right. Yeah. Anyway, okay, so here's my story. So Erin and I flip-flopped today because she did an Unsolved Mysteries, which From is- From the 80s. My jam. Uh-huh. And I'm doing a dismemberment. <gasps> Yay. It's like we <laughs> traded places. It is. It is. Although it is all very sad. Well, obviously. <laughs> yes. Okay, so I'm doing the story of Ingrid 
Lynn. Oh, yeah. A local. Everyone who's around Seattle has probably heard of this, but. I don't know. True. I mean, there wasn't a lot on it, so maybe not. On April 8th, 2016, 40-year-old single mother of three, Ingrid Lynn, got ready for a date with 37-year-old John Charlton, a man she had been seeing for about a month. They went to the Seattle Mariners baseball game. Woo! Go Mariners! (laughs) It was a Friday night game starting at 7.10 p.m. with 47,065 fans in attendance which is almost capacity. T-Mobile Park, which was Safeco Field in 2016, Mm -hmm. has a capacity of 47,929. Yeah. So very close to that. The game lasted for two hours and 55 minutes, with the Mariners losing to the Oakland Athletics 2-3. to Bummer. (laughs) Bummer. After the game, Ingrid and John went to a bar where John got drunk and they both returned to Ingrid's home in Renton. Ingrid Lynn was born Ingrid Marie Ranzelville on August 2nd, 1975, and graduated from Canyon Del Oro High School in Tucson, Arizona in 1993. She went on to earn a Bachelor of Science in Nursing degree in 1997 from the University of Arizona. Ingrid moved to Washington State in 2000 and got married to Philip Lynn. They had three girls together. Noelle, who was 10, Brooke, who was 8, and Reese, who was 6. Philip and Ingrid divorced in 2014, but remained friendly and had a good co-parenting relationship for the children. In 2016, Ingrid was working as a nurse at Seattle's Swedish Medical Center a hospital in Seattle's First Hill neighborhood, and was living in Renton, Washington. Also where I gave birth. So you're welcome. (laughs) Personal connection. See, the story was meant for you. Yeah. She was described by her family and friends as being spirited with an amazing sense of humor who loved being a nurse and a mother. John Charlton, who Ingrid met online through a dating website, was a homeless day laborer who had a criminal record in six states. What? Yes, including convictions for aggravated robbery, felony theft, grand theft auto, assault, and third-degree larceny. Oh, damn. Right? No, like, petty crimes. Like, he was a legit criminal. None of this was believed to be known by Ingrid. John had dating profiles on at least three dating websites. We aren't sure which one he used to meet Ingrid. However, on Mingle 2, his online bio stated, I'm a 37-year-old man from Seattle looking for a woman for friendship. I like to disclose information about me in person. I enjoy meeting people online and meeting up for coffee or drinks to get to know each other. One woman he had dated through meeting online described him as more normal on the phone, but he just seemed creepy when we met in person. Yeah, that's not good. Right? He was just off and his eyes seemed creepy. And she also stated, he seemed like a hot mess. Like, something was not going right in his life. They had gone out on St. Patrick's Day the year prior, and she stated that he seemed drunk and belligerent. So, I mean, it doesn't seem like he was getting any different because they went to a bar after the game and he got drunk there. Yeah. On April 9th, the morning after the date, Phil Lynn, Ingrid's ex-husband and father of her children, arrived at her home in Renton to drop off their daughters. No one was answering the door, which was unusual, as he knew she was aware he would be bringing the children back. Fearing something was wrong, he called Ingrid's mother, Georgia Bass. He called Ingrid's mother, Georgia Bass. Georgia arrived with a key to the home, and together Phil and Georgia entered the home. They found Ingrid's wallet, cell phone, 
purse, and other belongings, which is never a good sign if you're not there and your cell phone, wallet, and purse are there. Yeah, those are all things that you keep on your body. Mm -hmm. Georgia searched Ingrid's cell phone, and using the phone, she texted John Charlton. She had seen numerous texts and calls from the number. She told him that Ingrid was missing and that the family was calling 911 to report her. She told him that Ingrid was missing and that the family was calling 911 to report her missing. The King County police arrived at Ingrid's home and found a horrific scene in her bathroom. Blood, human tissue, and a pruning saw. Yeah, that's not good. No. Later in the afternoon, a man living near 21st Avenue and East Pine Street discovered human remains in his recycling bin that was recently emptied. He called the King County Police immediately. Later being identified as Ingrid Lynn, and the King County Coroner's Office stated that Ingrid's death was a, re- was a direct result of homicidal violence. It is obvious to all parties that they need to locate the last known person to have seen Ingrid alive, John Charlton. Over the next few days, they find more remains in a cooler on 20th Avenue between East Union and Marion Streets and at a recycling center on South Hanford Street. John Charlton was the main suspect and must be tracked down. On April 11th, 2016, three days after her death, John was located and arrested. He was charged with first-degree murder and auto theft. He told detectives that he was homeless and had a drinking problem and was not a normal person. He was held in the King County Jail on $5 million bail. After his arrest... John told detectives that he had blacked out on a downtown Seattle sidewalk and woke up with facial injuries and cuts to his body, and that he does not remember a thing from the night in question. On Monday, October 2nd, 2017, John Charlton pled guilty to all charges against him, including the murder and dismemberment of Ingrid Lynn. This was a relief to her family and friends as it spared them from having to see such a shocking and outrageous case go before a jury. On January 5th, 2018, John was sentenced to 27 years and nine months in prison by King County Superior Court Judge Julie Spector. Judge Spector said in court of Ingrid, she lived her life large, even though she was petite. I feel like I have come to know her in some small way. She addressed John in court and told him that she would have locked him up for life if she could, but sentenced him to 27 years and nine months, which was the harshest sentence she could hand down under the state's sentencing guidelines, which is baffling to me. This man admitted to murder and he only gets 27 years. Yeah. She told him what you did was vicious and cruel beyond anyone's belief. Ingrid's ex-husband spoke at the sentencing, saying that he stole his co-parent, sounding board, and his daughter's devoted and compassionate mother. That is so sad. It broke my heart. He said, there will be no more motherly advice from Ingrid, no more July 4th holidays in Big, Big Fork, Montana, no more trips to the beach or Thursday night dinners at a steakhouse. My children's children will never have a maternal grandmother. Our daughters continue to thrive, but they miss their mother every day. Oh, it makes me want to cry. It's heartbreaking. Yeah. Senseless. Also, just knowing what she went through Mm -hmm. and knowing, like, the gruesomeness of the case makes it so much harder for those kids growing up. 100%. Anna Samuel, one of John's defense attorneys, made a statement 
that she hopes her client's guilty plea and prison sentence provides Ingrid's loved ones with a sense of closure and perhaps some peace. Doubtful. Yeah. John spoke at the sentencing briefly and stated, I agree there are no words that can alleviate the pain I've caused. For that, I'm truly sorry. To this day, some of Ingrid's remains have never been found. A GoFundMe page set up in the children's names has raised over $270,000. That's great. They deserve that and more. <laughs> Absolutely. Source, my sources were Wikipedia, Seattle Times, an article written by Sarah Jean Green, Cairo News 7, ESPN, and CapitolHillSeattle.com. Yeah, I remember I – rem- it's really awful. I remember that one just being on the news. I remember when she went missing and they were looking for her and it was on the news and they were talking about it constantly. 100%. It Especially because so it was like she left from a Mariners game. If you've seen anything about her, I, like, I remember it as missing persons being on the news all the time. Mm-hmm. And then I it was just too. awful when you're dreading it because you're like, God damn it. Why would this like vivacious woman go missing? And you knew something was coming up. Totally. Like something horrible. Yeah. There was no reason for a mother of three, a responsible mother of three, to just go missing like that. No. Not even a little bit. No. And just like. It breaks my heart because it's. Yeah. Because it seems like she was just trying to find somebody. Yes. And this deceitful man. Awful. How. It all went down. So it's horrific. Like, does this member somebody is pretty personal? I, I no one believes him about his story that he no. blacked out. Like, no, you you don't black out and dismember somebody. That's chicken run all over again. Yes, like you don't just black out, dismember somebody, wake up on a on a sidewalk in Seattle with her car. He had her it's car. Like, it's like the guy who was just like, I panicked and dismembered her. Like, what? Mm-hmm. nobody does that. Nobody, nobody does panics that. and dismembers anybody. No. Who, that takes a very personal situation to dismember well, somebody. The other thing is to dismember a body. It, sorry if this makes people squeamish, but it is like a lot of work. Mm-hmm. It's really hard. You're getting through bone and skin and, and muscle, muscle. And it's yeah. very, very difficult. And usually more of those types of cases go from people who have been uh, had background in butcher or people that have had a medical background because it is so difficult. You have to know where tendons are and where to cut. I mean, it's very it's it's a very difficult thing. It really is. Not that we've ever done it, but no, but we've, I've <laughs> we've done enough research. It. I've done enough research on it that, I mean, like, uh, there's that one that I did not that long ago with the woman who was suspected of dismembering with the, tr- in the trunks. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I don't know if she was physically capable of doing that because it takes a lot of effort to go through and then to have her in different places, you know, like, that they moved, that they put her body in the recycle bin and that, you know, there were, there are the pieces of her were other places that takes a lot of effort. It really not something that someone who's blacked out would have the energy to do. Right. Like for sure. I, I don't just, know. And it yeah. also makes it like, brings up the conversation of online dating. Like I know it's like very popular, but you need to put some like safety measures into place, like sharing your location, yeah, like, where you are. I mean, honestly, though, maybe this—I don't know if this could have even been a prevented because she had been seeing him for like a month at this point. Yeah, and I mean, it I've wasn't a- like they were going anywhere private. It was they first of all went to a Mariners game with yeah, like, with all a million, forty-seven thousand people, people. Yeah. and then they went to a public bar, and then they went back to her house. But yeah. I mean, she had been seeing him for a month. It wasn't the first date. Yeah, it wasn't like this was he was completely unknown to her. Mm -hmm. I have a lot of friends that will send me their location if they're going if they're going on a date or something like that. I don't have very many friends, so no one does that for me. Cool. (laughs) (laughs) I love how you always tell me how many friends you have, and it makes me so sad. I'm like, I have you. Well, Autumn, you need to broaden your horizons. Oh, and I I have Hannah and I have Sarah and I, Uh I mean, I have friends. You do. 
But I'm just wonderful you talk friends, to the most. right? Yeah, wonderful, wonderful friends. I, I just, uh, I, I, I think it's so important to do that. Like I am constantly yelling at people that take ride shares. I'm like, check the license plate, text me when you get home, make sure you're, you know, send me your location. If you're on a date, text <laughs> me if you need to. And everybody totally. knows I will respond oh, no matter yeah. what time or day or night or any of that. Also, I'm an insomniac, so they know I'll be up. But yes. I mean, I, obviously I was kidding. I do have friends. I just like to yeah. tease Aaron. But um, <laughs> that's true. Anytime that Aaron – like I'm up late, I know if I text Aaron, she's awake. Yeah. Either I'm awake or I'll write back immediately. And I'm also that way with my friends. If I don't hear back from them and I know they were doing something, I'm like, hi, just a, like emoji or something. I just need to know you're alive. Yeah. Absolutely. It, it's in, you know, maybe that's just my paranoia, but I think it's really important. I to would do rather that. be paranoid than nothing. Also, like with my bonus kid, I like to know when he goes on dates. Totally. Just because he's a dude doesn't mean something awful can't happen. Exactly. I, um, I recently got a birdie plus. So, you know, we, we are, um, we talk about birdie a lot, which is a personal alarm we recommend uh, anyone carrying with them, especially at night. And, um, they recently launched a new product called the birdie plus. I'm going to do a couple of videos and we'll post on our Instagram about it. And basically it has, a, a button on it, which the original doesn't, and it interacts with an app and you can press it once and it will do a call to your phone. That's like an excuse call. Like, Hey, it's, can you come over? I need you to leave. Da 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 da. So that you, that somebody could hear it and know, like, oh, you do have to leave. So if you need it, if you don't feel safe saying I want to go, then this is a good way to get out of a situation. Mm -hmm. If you press it a second time, it will call an operator who will stay on the line with you. Like if you're walking somewhere or nervous, or they'll call authorities if needed. You press it a third time and it sends your location to specific people that you have listed. So they know like if you're sending your location, shit's bad. I need somebody here now and they can call for you or something like that. And it still acts as a regular personal alarm as well. I um, that. And like I said, I'm going to do a video on it so that kind of explains it more in depth and also shows you how to use it and use the app. Um, but that's something to check out. We do have a promo code, which is not murder 15 and you get 15% off of your purchase. Um, follow us on Instagram and you'll see pictures of both of these cases and um, all the people involved in them. You can also email us at info at murder, not murdering.com. If you would like to send us your uh, maybe a case or a connection to a case or something you would like us to, you just want us to look more into. Yeah. Um, so those are all the things, <laughs> all the things, and we will see you next week. Right? Bye. Bye. Yeah. Bye. Bye. <laughs> but, oh God. Bye. Bye. Okay. <laughs> bye. Bye. Now. Bye. Bye. Now. Bye. Bye. Now.